and welcome to the Record Rangers podcast. I'm Gary Armstrong and today I'm joined by Johnny McFarlane and Scott McDermott. On the pod today, we conduct a post-mortem on a terrible result against Hamilton at Ibrox. We look at the potential reasons behind the drawn-out process of appointing a new manager and we take time to assess the emergence of Alex McLeish as the new favourite for the job. So, first off, guys, what what did we make of Rangers v Hamilton at the weekend? Um, I thought it was a really poor performance, Gary. I know know some people after the game... I've spoke about the chances that Rangers made and the, you know, the kind of territory they had on Hamilton, possession, stats like that, but it just feels to me like in the predicament Rangers find themselves in, none of that really matters. What, what matters is Rangers lost to Hamilton Ackies at Ibrooks in a league game for the first time in 91 years, which is just staggering. And it's for any Rangers player, any Rangers manager, any Rangers supporter, it's just unacceptable. Um, even the even the, the cup start, you know, the last time Hamilton beat Rangers was in the cup, even that, I mean, 30 years ago since, since Hamilton went to Ibrox and won. And they did it on Saturday, not with ease because of the chances and that, that, that Rangers had, but honestly in the second half, I thought Hamilton were relatively comfortable. I, I know Rangers a cut that big chances late on when it was actually 2-0 but for Hamilton to go it wasn't like a last minute penalty winner you know these games where you can have so much of the ball so many chances it's just one of those days where nothing goes in and you get hit with a a penalty or an OG or something Hamilton scored two good goals albeit the first one was a a glaring error for for young McCrory Um, but after the game I was in the press conference Graham Murty um, spoke at length about the chances they missed. Then Kenny Miller came in, first time Kenny had spoke actually since the since Pedro Cusinha left, um, but it was more about the game. And he started to talk about the chances, but I could just sense that being you know, being the guy that he is and, and having spent so many years at Rangers in different spells, I actually said to Kenny Miller after the game, he says, look, there was a lot of chances, but Oh, this is Rangers against Hamilton and before I could even get a sentence out he said no you're right it, it was completely unacceptable Rangers should not be losing a home game against Hamilton and aside for that just on the, the purely on the performance yes there was chances you would expect that against Hamilton you know, where they are in the league I know they were making a, making a wee mini run of, of good form if Rangers aren't creating chances against Hamilton and Ibrox, then there's a, there's a serious problem. They couldn't take any of those chances. They lacked composure uh, in front of goal. They lacked a bit of craft and guile in the final third. And the highlights might have shown all these chances and made it look as if Rangers were constantly on top of Hamilton. That actually wasn't the case. I thought Rangers' performance was littered with basic errors all around the park uh, for defenders trying to play the ball out for the two wingers who I just didn't think impacted the game enough I think they flattered to deceive so much of the time um, I just thought it was a really really poor performance and there's, there's just no getting away from it Johnny, what do you think of the players' reaction to going behind in the game? Obviously a bit of a shock from how do you think they responded to it? Well they didn't respond particularly well that's that's the first thing. I mean, I think there is 
serious questions to be asked about the mentality of some of the players that are currently at Ibrox. However, I kind of disagree with Scott. I don't actually think the performance was that bad. I looked at the game yesterday. I wasn't at the game. And I watched the whole thing back. And I could not believe the amount of high-quality chances Rangers had and failed to score. Morelos could have scored six. And that's not an exaggeration. He could have had six um, in the game. Three of, of the chances that he had were uh, were excellent. And um, I think he should have done better. Um, but overall, I mean, I looked at expected goals and it was 3-1 Rangers on expected goals. So I think if that game was repeated over and over, Rangers would, would win that game comfortably. I think where that argument falls down a little bit is that I think Rangers fans will be looking at it going, we've yeah. seen these excuses before. There's something more inherently wrong with this team yeah. than just bad luck. Uh, and I think, I think it comes down to what Alex Ray was talking about in here the last time he was in, a couple of weeks back, when he was talking about mentality, the pressure of playing for Rangers, I just don't think uh, Rangers have players at the moment throughout that team, throughout especially the spine of the team, that have the mental strength to cope with playing for a, a club where they're expected to win every single game. Yeah, you, you just, it's only an opinion, you, you just, you know, try and kind of sense what the players are feeling, what, what the manager's feeling, and... I came away from the game on Saturday thinking the most damning indictment of all really is that it was almost accepted, no losing. I know Kenny Miller said it's unacceptable, but it's alright saying it. No. I think the situation Rangers have found themselves in recently, even over the last few years, is that these results aren't a big shock anymore. Um, and really, if the club as a whole are looking to move forward and try and progress and try and get up the league and closer to Celtic, all the things we've spoke about, they just can't be losing games like that. Hamilton weren't great. Let's let's be honest here. I mean, they, they did exactly what teams have been doing for the last three or four years against uh, Rangers since the Warburton era. They sat in a really deep uh, two, ba- two banks of four with a guy tucked in behind and they pushed uh, who was Templeton who was excellent yeah. pushed the striker up and they looked to hit on the break and really how many chances did they actually have beyond the two goals they scored ne- next to none yeah. they had but a great they had a great period after they scored where yeah. they dominated the game for about 25 minutes Templeton nearly scored again and he, yeah he did and he caused all sorts of problems because he, he was just given the freedom to run about and do what he wanted and he's, he's a skillful player and he picked up pockets of space that caused Rangers problems. But apart from that, they dominated the game. And Rangers definitely should have had a, a, at least three goals from Morelos. Uh, as I said already, uh, uh, I thought Morelos was actually excellent in the game. If you looked at his overall link-up play and all the rest of it, it was superb. He got himself in great positions. He was even doing the right things, trying to head the ball down. Um, but his, his finishing was, was really really off do you think Rangers general play on Saturday you know, in terms of a build up play and that, do you think, really think it was good enough I thought there was misplaced passes all over the place I mean, the amount of times Danny Wilson put the ball at the park or Lee, Hod- I mean, Lee Hodson and Windast on the left hand side just didn't work for me at all I think there's a I don't have anything against Lee Hodson as a player I think he's a useful squad member but when he plays on that opposite side I agree Constantly having to turn on his right foot, no moves were, were breaking down basically, or letting Hamilton get get back into get back into shape. In terms of the Templeton thing, I thought that was 
you're right, no, I'm not saying Hamilton were, were brilliant, but they did, the tempo and one worked for them, they were playing just off the front, and I, I might be wrong, but it was just, I thought it was apparent during the game, that he seemed to be latching onto that space in front of Danny Wilson, I, I think Hamilton thought Wilson will be the one centre-back that, that starts attacks, whether it be cross-field passes or playing into midfield, and Templeton stopped Wilson doing that, and I think Hamilton got a bit of joy for that. They got to, albeit, as you say, Morelos missed a couple of chances, but when they got to half-time at 0-0, Martin Canning would have thought, this game plan is working here, and if we get if we get one chance and take it, we can go and win this game, and that's how it, that's how it panned out. Johnny, you've spoken about their Hamilton weren't brilliant, but the thing is now, teams don't have to be brilliant to pick up points at Ibrox. If you look at what Kilmarnock did recently, they effectively parked the bus for 80 minutes and then hit Rangers on the break late on. Rangers' record at home reads 8 points from 21 league games this season. Hibs, Hart, Celtic, Kilmarnock and Hamilton have all come away there from with something. Are Rangers players fearful of playing at Ibrox at the moment? Well, you look at that stat and it certainly looks that way, that they're not as comfortable because away from home they've certainly done a lot better. Um, the atmosphere from, from what I could pick up on the telly and from speaking to people that were at the game didn't look like it was that positive. Uh, Ibrox on Saturday, Scott was there, so I don't know what you felt. I it felt it, it seemed like it was a bit of grumbling from, from it, fairly early it, it in the game. Pos- no, I mean, it was pretty positive at the start, and I think when, when they had those couple early chances, you know, the punters thought, right, it's going to, the punters probably thought this would be the same as the Partick Thistle game. Yeah. Obviously, where they would have a lot of the ball, they'd create some chances, and they'd maybe win 2, two or 3 now. But, but as soon as that goal went in, and as soon as that pass back for McRory and Templeton scores, the crowd turned. But you can argue that 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 always would happen at that, Rangers. That that's the pressure of playing for Rangers at Ibrox. And it's then how you deal with it. And we mentioned m- mentality. I think a large chunk of these players just don't don't have it, don't have that character mentality to to, to go one down at Ibrox and say, No, despite what they're hearing round about them, to actually no stand up and be counted, go and take the ball. I mean, it struck me on Saturday, it was almost, you were, it was crying out for a, like a Barry Ferguson type, you know, 1-0 down to say, you know what, right, I'm going to make things happen, I'm going to go and take the ball for the centre-backs and actually impact this game, get us get us back in the game. And with all due respect to, to most of that Rangers team, uh, they just they just don't have that at the moment. I think the, sorry Johnny I think the phrase is a player who will take the game by the scruff of the neck yeah. and they really don't have that don't kind have of player that at the moment at well I think that they've got two players that are out at the moment or were out for the game that are definitely in that mould which is Alves and Dorans. Rangers are a much better side with those two True. playing um, I, I find it hard to criticise Murty for, for keeping with the team that had won the, the previous two games for him because that's kind of standard managerial logic. You know, you stick with the winning 11, and he would have been criticised if he'd changed it. However, um, I think you look at the result and you say, Alves is definitely a better player than Danny Wilson. There's no doubt about it. You, you don't even really have to dig too deep into it. I mean, the guy's a European Championship winner. He's had 94 caps for Portugal. We'll certainly change it for Friday. That's for sure. That's, that's, that's for certain. If, if Alves is not back in the team, there's a serious problem. There's a serious problem that we haven't heard about because, barring injury, he he should be playing. Um, And he's not been brilliant since he arrived at Rangers, but 
he's an aura about him. He's a mentality about him that you can tell a presence that, that comes through when you're in the stand watching on the pitch. You can see it, and it affects the players around them. And uh, without that, uh, I think Rangers are, are diminished. And, and I think Dorans is a similar one. That the other guys in the team, they, they look up to him. They know if they give him the ball, yep. they'll get it back. Um, they know that they'll get a quality of delivery, and if he's taking a free kick, they, they can trust him. He's experienced. It's the same as Alves. Both experienced players have beat. They've seen it, done it. And the Rangers are a far better side for those two. Kenny Miller's been a talisman of sorts in the past 12 months. What's his role in the team at the moment, Scott? Well, I mean, he was brilliant against Hearts at Murrayfield and he's kind of come back. I, I wouldn't agree with that, Scott. You know that. I think. That, well, listen, it, it, he was, he was, maybe not an open play, but aye. he gets two vital goals that gets them a, a really important win at that time on a day when. He was coming back into the side after everything had happened and um, the two goals, granted the first goal was a wee bit of fortune but it was great work by Morelos, the second was just great movement and a great a great header. So, But I think that's probably been the only game this season I can remember where Kenny Miller has had a real, a real meaningful impact that I said long ago in this podcast that you know, Kenny Miller was really off form at the, at the start of this season and there was an argument for, for taking him out of the team. Unfortunately, Pedro Cuxinha took him out of the team for, for Carlos Peña and probably made them made them even worse um, by, by putting him in. He's now back in the team, as I say, the Hearts game, he, he, had a great, he had a great impact with the goals, but on Saturday again, He's dropping so deep, you not know, to pick up the ball. He's getting into areas, Johnny, we spoke about, but you don't really need or want Kenny Muller uh, on, on the pitch. Um, so it was another disappointing performance. He, 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 didn't, he didn't have a huge influence on the game. He's not helping Alfredo Morelos at all. He needs to get further up the pitch. He yeah. needs to cause more problems. I think someone needs to get a hold of Kenny and say, you need to stop this. The, the, the punters see it, the journalists see it. I find it, I'm struggling to understand why a succession of coaches at Ibrox can't see it. Pena, for all his faults, in certain games, not the Celtic one, I'll admit, but in certain games, at least gave you a structure where you went, I can see he's pulling other players out of position and creating space for Morelos. Whereas Miller, he's just far too deep, he's all over the place, he's trying to do everything. I get that he's trying to be a leader, but sometimes in leadership, to, to show leadership, you have to just get on with your own job and take care of your own job first. Yeah, sometimes that's, that's the problem, though. There's such a lack of leaders in that dressing room that Murty probably feels, I need to play this guy. You know, even if he's not playing well, he's the experienced guy of the team. Other players look up to him. You know, talk about mentality, character. Kenny Miller's got, got all that. So he probably feels he has to play him. And also... The fact that there's such a lack of competition behind him, Pena has disappeared off the off the face of the earth. On Saturday, you're left with a situation where Rangers are one down to Hamilton at home, and you're throwing on again with all due respect, Eduardo Herrera and Ryan Hardy to try and pull you out a hole. Just no good enough, I'm afraid. Um, Miller obviously came off. So despite everything that we've said about Miller. I don't really see where Graham Murty can go with it. If he takes him out of the team, who does he who does he put in that's going to be better? Do you, do you play Herrera and Morelos just as a straight two 
up front and maybe the, the Mexican can come up with something maybe help Morelos a bit more that's clearly an alternative but again we go back to the thing he won't want to leave Kenny Miller out of the team because he sees him as a as a leader on the pitch here's an alternative for you Scott I think you should move Kenny Miller to the left right because Josh Windass he just flits in and out of games he'll produce a great moment one minute have you going you know he's a player the next minute you're, you're tearing your hair out of them if you have to keep Kenny Miller on the team I think on the left where his keenness to get about the pitch um, will be less damaging for, for the, 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 the attacking prowess of the team I think that might be an answer left and a four Le- aye because I think he, he gets back enough he's better yeah. defensively than, than, than Windass yeah. I mean in the past we'd be going mm, it's, it's Miller up to that defensively but do you know what he'll get, he'll get stuck in much more than, than Josh Windass will and he's a goal threat he's a threat at the back post he knows the game well enough that I think he'd be better in there um, and also I think Windass just needs a boot up the backside, and he needs, he needs some competition yeah, Kenny's still got a bit of pace about him as well so, so for me I, I would put Miller on the left I would Think about moving Herrera into that sort of um, not a number ten, but just advanced striker because he's got nice touch about him. Give him a wee chance to see what he's all about. And he might not be good enough because we've not seen an awful lot from him. But one thing about Herrera is he's got a nice touch. He links play well. He's he's not quick, but I think that might give Rangers some alternatives. We are going to have listeners screaming in their headphones just now saying Kenny Miller what 38 years of age and he's never been a left winger in his life so is it he's played there under Warburton often he played there you know um, played right played left um, but there's not there's no good option sometimes in life there is no good option and you've got Josh Windass out there who is spluttering in terms of his form and there's no one to take his place I mean Cranchar he can't play he's too immobile He needs to be played at number 10 or, or in midfield. So I think Kenny is a decent option given his skill set out there. It's, it's not the perfect an- answer. Cranchar might be an option playing off Morelos. I mean, I agree about Cranchar's fitness. I've seen him coming on against Partick Thistle a couple of weeks ago and, no, without being unkind to him, I mean, he was toiling to get about the pitch. He's just back from serious injury. I, I get that. But there is nobody in that Rangers squad technically better than, than Nico Cranchar in terms of being a, being a footballer and being able to create chances so maybe that's something Murty will need to look at if I know Morelos is missing chances but to be fair to him he's, he keeps getting into the right positions he, he strikes me as a, as a guy who I know people are saying about his call I don't, I don't know if it is a lack of confidence I just think he's getting through a bad, a bad spell at the minute but I think he'll want to keep getting those chances and playing Cranchar just in behind him to try and you know, pick out wee killer passes uh, on that final third that's that's got to be another alternative for Murphy. one thing's for sure he's got to change it up after Saturday he can't go to Dens Park the same side, the same setup. he has to make some changes to try and, try and freshen it up A year on um, or, there, or thereabouts Warburton left are Rangers in a better or a worse position now than they were a year ago under Warburton? Johnny that's a really difficult question because in some ways they're better in some ways they're worse um, they're better in that I think Alves Candias Dorans Jack Morelos walk into Warburton's team but I personally I rate Warburton as a coach I've said that before I know that that's at odds with a lot of what the Rangers support now think 
Um, he's got Nottingham Forest in seventh in the championship. They, you know, I think they were very, very close to relegation last term. That said, the, the, a lot of people are saying the same problems at Nottingham Forest that he had at, at Rangers. However, I do think, at least with Warburton, you could see what he was trying to do in his coaching on the pitch. He had a, an idea and a way of playing the game that was very attractive to watch. I think the players that are in the club at the moment will be harder to shift than the ones Warburton signed because they all had track records in England. People said, oh, these guys are rubbish. They'll, they'll never be able to get rid of them. But actually, you know what? Every single one of them to a man found another club. So they, they, weren't, they weren't that bad. Um, I think you're going to be struggling to find buyers for Carlos Peña and, and Eduardo Herrera the way it is at the moment. Certainly outside of Mexico, I think. I think, yeah, so... I, I agree with Johnny on that. I think um, since Mark Warburton left Rangers, you can say what you like about him, but I don't think you've been able to look at that team since and say that's their style of play. Whereas if you think back to Warburton, I would argue Warburton's first game, uh, first proper game, was in the Petrofat Cup away to Hibs. And I remember watching that on TV, and from, from the first, very first game, which is quite impressive, no, given the, the short amount of time he must have had with the players. That game at Easter Road, I think they won 5-2 or something. I think it was 6-2, was it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could see right away what, what Warburton was trying to do, and for the Rangers fans at that time, it was quite exciting. It obviously all went pear-shaped t- towards the end, but that's the one thing you could say about Warburton. You knew what style you were getting, you knew exactly how they were going to play, um, and ironically, no... He was criticised and end up for no for no changing that style of play. Yeah. But I bet there's a few a few Rangers fans probably watching them at the moment think I wouldn't mind seeing a bit of that again because that's certainly not there at the minute. And his signings at Nottingham Forest, I think quite influenced by his time up here. Jason yes. Cummings, um, Liam Bridcut is a very good player. Would be good at, at at the Scottish Premiership level. And of course Barry Mackay. I mean Rangers fans got used to Barry Mackay and he got a bit of a hard time playing on that left wing but they've now got Josh Windass and I think a lot of them are starting to realise what they had with Barry Mackay he's the top assist maker in the championship at the moment scored three or four goals already and is loved by the Nottingham Forest fans so one thing I would say about Warburton though talking about Nottingham Forest is that in that championship you can go through streaky periods at a forum you can get away with it I know Nottingham Forest are are a huge club, great history and that, but Mark Warburton in the Championship can quite easily get away with a five-game uh, five game run where they don't, win a, they don't win a game. They'll still be in the job, no many people will bat, will bat an eyelid because they know that he'll probably go the next three games where they'll win and they'll move up to, as Johnny says, moving up to seven. And I was the same, I looked at the table last night and thought, Jesus, I didn't realise... They were that they were that high. I mean, just just outside the playoffs, which is very good. But it's a different ball game, not in Forest in the Championship compared to Rangers up here, where you need to win every game. And as as we know, for for recent uh, recent times, dropping any points at all, especially at home, and it's a it's a crisis here. There's a stat that's emerged this week. So Rangers have conceded thirty seven and a half percent of shots to face this season. At Ibrox is even worse. It's of fourteen shots on target, nine of them have gone in. What can you pin that to, or is it just one of these bizarre stats? Really interesting. I think I, I must admit I've never been a huge fan of Wes Fodringham as a as a keeper. I think he's I think he's a good keeper. 
I don't think he's a he's a great keeper, and I and I think those stats, not saying they prove the point, but he just doesn't make enough saves for me as a as a Rangers goalkeeper. Enough crucial saves. That stat would suggest clearly that most of the the shots that that are on target at him go in, um, which I don't think is a st- a good stat for any keeper. Listen, I think I don't think it's a priority position. I don't think. I didn't think when when Kishina came in, or I don't even think now, if a new manager comes in, that goalkeeper will be a priority position. I think in West Fordringham and Jack Anik, they've got two very decent goalkeepers. But is West Fordringham you no know, real top level? I don't think so, and I think that's that kind of backs that up. I, I agree with you 100%. I think he is a good goalkeeper yeah. at, at this level, but do I think he's he's brilliant? No, do I think he's as good as a lot of the Rangers fans think he is? Definitely not. I thought you were going to totally disagree. No, no, I, 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 no, I agree with you. I'm, I was just kind of laughing because <laughs> I was thinking your Twitter feed for this is going to go, it's going to explode. Um, but I actually don't blame him for this because I can't think of a lot of goals that have been conceded that have been his fault. I think Rangers concede a lot of shots in high danger areas. There's a lot of goals that they lose when the ball's whipped into the back post and the and the ball gets poked in from three yards out. There's a lot of that. And a lot of that is because managers are targeting the fullbacks rampaging forward. And Rangers, and this goes right back to the Warburton era, with the two type of fullbacks they have, under Kashina as well, they wanted them to push forward because that's their strength. But opposing managers in Scotland's full of very pragmatic football managers who know how to target weakness and they've seen that as, as a key weakness in Rangers and they've targeted when you get the chance when you get forward whip that ball into the back post whether it be left or right and how many goals have Rangers lost like that even the goal against Hamilton on Saturday it was another whipped in ball across the box three yards out boom goal. I was just thinking there the, the game against Kilmarnock Chris Burke again it was the same ball right across the box yeah. and then it's a, it's a tap in so maybe that's where the stat and it doesn't tell the full picture. Maybe. I, I agree with Johnny that I don't think Fodderingham isn't a guy who makes glaring errors. And I think we also need to point out that in the modern game, he is actually very good with the ball. He's he is, he's excellent. He's very good at that. And a lot of managers, as we know, that's one of the key key components where they look for in a keeper. But I, I just go back to this point that I see shots going into him that he doesn't really get criticised for no saving them. But if you really look at it, they're saves that a Rangers goalkeeper, in my mind, should be making. The one that sticks out, it's just off the top of my head, was Lee Griffith's goal at Ibrox fairly recently, when Patrick Roberts slipped the ball into him. Now, it was a decent finish for Griffiths, but it kind of went under Fodringham, if you remember it's right. It's kind of near post near, as well. near post. And there was no criticism at all, nobody questioned that everybody thought, great finish you know, for a top, a top striker. Rangers goalkeepers in big games, especially old firm games, have got to be making crucial saves at crucial times, and I don't think I don't think Fodringham does that. Moving on, then it's twenty eight days since Pedro Cachinho left Ibrooks. We're here again another week talking about <laughs> the Rangers manager. It's sex. Groundhog Day. <laughs> so what what's going on? Again, there's been hardly any movement. And nothing coming out of the club. Scott's got an exclusive inside track on this, Scott. I, I wish. <laughs> Honestly, I wish. Um, 
I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. I mean, Rangers, uh, I, I asked Rangers, can I meet their people on Saturday night, obviously looking for the Sunday meal. Um, it was around the time it emerged that there was a story going about uh, Chris Coleman had turned in the turned in the chance to manage Rangers before he accepted the, the Sundown job, so he's making a few calls trying to get it um you know, try to get that stood up um or whatever. But uh, the word coming out of Rangers at that time in terms of where they were in their search for a new manager was that uh, nothing was imminent. So here we are a month on and and nothing is imminent. That's well that's quite something. Um when you think about how how desperate they should be to get a guy in and get get that place, get that team going again, um, I don't think the honest answer is I don't think the board know who they want. I don't think there's a there can't be a consensus in that boardroom of who they want to be the next manager. And then you throw in, as we've spoken about so many times before, the Mark Allen influence. He will obviously have been speaking to people, have been drawing up a list, and it sounds as if, or it feels for the outside as if they're at a point where Mark Allen's came up with some names, the Rangers board are clearly divided, I'd be amazed if there weren't at least one board member, maybe two, who believe Derek McInnes would be the right guy to go for, but clearly there's not a consensus there. So they're taking their time over it. They've clearly not decided who the, who the number one target is, but we had a game on Friday night away to Dundee on the back of the Hamilton result. Then this double header against Aberdeen. It's imperative, I think, that, that they get moving on this and, and you know, do something to give, the, to give the fans you know, some kind of encouragement that, that they're going to have a new manager sooner rather than later. I'll be amazed if they don't have a manager by the AGM because that's when... Yeah. It hits the fan in terms of the board members feeling it. Um, so I think they'll want to try to pull a rabbit out of the hat. You, you would think so. Before then. Um, I don't criticise Rangers for taking their time. I think if they need time to get everyone who's in the board together to make the correct decision, you know, it's not a dictatorship. But everyone has a say. But you say take time, Johnny, so... But hold on, let me, let me finish. Where I think they've made a mistake is the communication of this process. Mark Allen is not available to the media. No fan and no media man really understands Mark Allen's role. Is he the boss of the football department? Will he be the boss of the new manager? Is it a manager? Is it a head coach? How will his role work? No one's asked those questions. Those are questions that the Rangers fans want answered. And I think it is incumbent on Rangers to put Mark Allen forward at some stage, and it should have been done before now, to tell the Rangers fans exactly what his role is and, and what his position is in all of this. Now, I think if they'd come out and said right at the start, Mark Allen had done an, an interview and said, this is going to be a process that's going to take four or five weeks. Um, we're going to make sure we absolutely have the right candidate. It's going to be a detailed process where we, we check all possible options to make sure that Rangers Football Club has the best manager available to it. And we fully trust Graham Murty in the meantime. Then I don't think there'd be so much debate about this. I think it's been poorly communicated and I think that the absence of information has created a vacuum that's been filled with basically people um, trying to fill that vacuum with, with whatever information they can get so it's been a lot of rumour and stuff like that. I agree with what you're saying but it's okay taking time. <laughs> if you lose these two games to Aberdeen 
to me, Rangers' season's gone. I mean, literally, you lose twice to Aberdeen in the space of four days. This season, apart from the Scottish Cup, is a write-off for Rangers. Now, that shouldn't shouldn't have been the case. When Pedro Cuxinha left Ibrox, I think I'm right in saying Rangers were, what, five points behind Aberdeen? Yeah. No, not insurmountable by, by any stretch. And... I just don't understand knowing that these Aberdeen games were on the on the horizon, why they've no they've no moved quicker. I agree about the, the, the communication. I mean it's you're saying these questions you know, should be asked. I'm sure they would be asked if we had Mark Allen or somebody for the board or Dave King sat sat in front of us. Um, but I th- I think I agree with you, but I think from the board's point of view, it's an error on their part. They're they're actually getting more pressure and they will get more pressure in the coming days if they don't get something sorted out because they've not communicated it well and secondly what I do think as well is if it's not Derek McInnes if it's not a name that's going to blow the socks off Rangers fans I think there's going to be a bit of discord now because it's look at Rangers fan sites listen to Rangers podcasts they're all saying Derek McInnes is the man if they pull out a you know someone from down south like a, um, a Steve McLaren or a Edie Boothroyd someone who um, Mark Allen knows it's not going to be popular what, what happens if no, whoever they bring in right? it could be the biggest name it could be Frank De Boer Giovanni Van Bronker Sam Allardyce whoever if that new guy comes in and Rangers get their pants pulled down twice in the space of three days the guy who the majority of fans think should be in the job, where does that leave them? It leaves the, it leaves the new guy af- off to the worst possible start, and you're getting the punters' backs up right away because they're going, oh, wait a minute, our season's all but over. We've got a new guy in when the season's a write-off, would have maybe been better just sticking, to, sticking with Graham Murtick at the end of the season because it's gone anyway. And the guy who we should have got is sitting comfortably in second place having just taken six points off us. That, that's why it's a no-win situation if they don't appoint McInnes. I, I think they're all, they've almost check, been check, check checkmate um, because it'll be very difficult unless they get someone in. Of course, if they get Frank Boer comes in and he wins those games, then... Of course. But that's a difficult one. <laughs> it's a very difficult one with that squad. Well, we actually had that question about the McInnes narrative from RFC99 on Twitter, but, which I think you've answered, but... Another question we've had, and another name for you, one for your Scrabble board here, Johnny, we've got Angie Postacoglu. He's been linked with a job, he's left Australia. Is that all just rumour and speculation, do you think? Well, I think Rangers fans would probably say they hope so, because you've got a guy who has left Australia because he says he finds it too high pressured, and it's <laughs> taken a toll on him. Now... It's I'd love to see Joe li- Wallace's reaction to that. You know, uh, it's a difficult life being on Bondi Beach. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I don't. I'll be honest. I don't know a lot about his track record. You know, he's he's qualified Australia um, for the World Cup, which is obviously a decent achievement. Although they do do it <laughs> the vast majority of times, and they don't have the most difficult qualifying uh, section to get through. Um, but I don't think that's a name that's going to inspire confidence amongst the Rangers fans because once again you're looking at someone who doesn't know Scottish football yes he's an English speaker but doesn't know Scottish football doesn't know the players would take time to get used to the squad take time to get used to the unique environment that is Rangers 
when when Charlie Miller played under Angie Postecoglou, I, I, I think it, I think at Brisbane Raw, certainly had a spell under him. Now Charlie probably spent far too much time in Bondi Beach, and that's why he ended up he ended up back here. But he does doesn't speak that highly of him, uh, and no, take that with a, a pinch of salt. But he used to be a TV pundit, I believe, Postecoglou before he got into the coaching, and I think that was the problem. That was a serious problem at Brisbane where I think he'd been a, a media guy who was heavily uh, or highly critical of the players and then he went into that dressing room and tried to get them all on side and it didn't quite go to plan but I agree with Johnny no matter what his credentials over there are it's just not going to wash with the Rangers support I'm afraid and I would, I'd be amazed if he, if he was in the boards thinking at the moment Okay, so another name a bit more familiar and the current favourite, Alex McLeish. Scott, do you think that would be a good move or a backwards move? Um, I don't think it would necessarily be a bad move. I think where Rangers are at the minute and having had, have had this delay um, and the Rangers fans are just itching for somebody, Alex McLeish wouldn't be my first choice. I've already spoke at length as to why I believe Derek McInnes is the, is the right guy for the role um, but we had, we had Alex Ray and a couple of weeks ago who obviously speaks really highly of McLeish um, and the work that he does particularly his man management and I think man management is you know, what this Rangers dressing room really needs I'm not saying it's the, it's the main thing but they certainly need somebody in there um, that can get, get people on side at the same time as maybe ruffling a few a few feathers uh, and get getting them going again. I see it as a. I don't think it would be the answer to Rangers' long term problems getting McLeish in. Um, again, I think McInnes ticks those ticks more of those boxes. But we're sitting here just now, no, none the wiser to who it's going to be. When you look at McLeish against some of the names being mentioned for it, I would rather have Alex McLeish than a lot of them. Um, in terms of being favourite for the job, I don't quite know how that's happened. I mean, that, that you need to be careful with these bookies' odds. It could be somebody's stuck fifty quid on him, suddenly he's he's even's favourite. Um, but I can see why, similar to when, when Pedro Cushinier came in, I can see why he'd, he'd be in the boards thinking. Um, do I believe he'll get it? No, but it certainly wouldn't. It wouldn't be the worst appointment. He was a fantastic Rangers manager. I mean, he was up against the best Celtic side um, outside the Lisbon Lions. They're far better that side than the current Celtic side, by a mile. There's no Celtic player at the moment that would get into that Celtic side at the time, I don't think. Um, they were that good. And he managed to win seven trophies in four seasons, five seasons, um, against a very, very, very strong opposition. And he did it against a backdrop of financial... Cuts that were crippling to his squad. You know, you replaced Barry Ferguson with a 31-year-old Emerson. You know, that was a <laughs> massive retrograde step, but he still managed to turn things around the following season. Um, and he qualified for the last 16. So he was a great Rangers manager. He had his ups and downs. He had some catastrophic seasons in there amidst the good seasons, but I think there was reasons for that he had the worst kind of losing Old Firm record as well didn't he Old Firm games without a win yeah he had I think it was yeah it was, it was, it was several games a lot of fans hold that against hold that against him but then 
he was also the manager for some of the most memorable wins. I mean, the cup final win, 3-2 game of the Barry Ferguson free kick in the last minute, 11 crans. That is Rangers folklore. Helicopter Sunday. Helicopter Sunday, which we talked about um, recently. <clears throat> what I do think, though, despite all of that, is I think at 58, having had two or three years out of the game, it would be a bit of a gamble again. And, and, and everything is in context. You know, He's a great appointment um, in, in context of Steve McLaren or, or Alex, uh, Alex McLeish. It's obviously going to be Alex McLeish. But in context of Derek McInnes being there, no, I think you've got to go with Derek McInnes. Or if, for example, Slavin Bilic, keep coming back to the name, Scott wrote the story and I thought that was a great name, then I think if, that, if he was available, he was someone that you could do a deal with, then I think he would be better. Um, but, I mean, you can't get away from the fact that it's just so obvious that Derek McInnes is the man for this job. So it's difficult to continue to speculate about it. I think we've 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 said it until we're blue in the face now. Yeah, I think we'll move on. Otherwise, we'll just be repeating ourselves from last week. But yeah. finally, will we be discussing the same thing next week? Do you reckon, or is it going to be done? When's the AGM? Thursday, I think. Thursday of next week. Yeah. Yeah, I think we. I think, after the Aberdeen. I, I think it might have something before the, the the AGM. They'll not want to go into that AGM and have it be a beer pit, mm. literally. <clears throat> It'll be interesting. Um, going back to Derek McInnes, you know, this kind of checkmate thing. You no, know, I just wonder what, what would happen if, as Johnny says, they want to get something done before the AGM or before the Aberdeen game on the Wednesday night. So on Monday, for instance, they go to Aberdeen finally and say, "No, can we speak to you? Can we get permission to speak to Derek McInnes? What happens then? I mean... If, I, if Aberdeen, I think Aberdeen's initial reaction, Stuart Milne's initial reaction would be, no, we're not entertaining you at all, we're not interested in speaking to you until the very least we get these two games over and done with. Do they that, have the power to do that though? Because has he not got a release clause for certain clubs for a certain amount? I mean, that's, I suppose it depends on that. It, I suppose it does. Yeah. Um, but, but then, if that was to happen and Aberdeen say, no, 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 how would Aberdeen fans feel about leaving a manager in place for two games against the team who he's about to go and speak to maybe the next manager <coughs> I think maybe there would be an agreement that he would watch the games from the stand or yeah I don't know it's certainly difficult it's a difficult position for Stuart Milne you had this he'll just look down the road it's not far down the road from Aberdeen at Dundee United yeah. and he'll see what happened to Stephen Thompson the moment that Dundee United started their spiral was when they sold Mackay, Stephen and Armstrong yeah. to, to Celtic on the eve of a cup final. Yeah. He never recovered from that with the fans. And the disunity that has followed at Dundee United has been rooted in that decision. And Milne will probably look at that and go, you know what, I don't fancy that. Yeah. Not when I'm trying to build a new stadium. Not when I need the goodwill of the people of Aberdeen to force through what is an essential move for the club, according to Stuart Milne. We touched upon the AGM there, which, as you said, is next Thursday. We've had Mr M on Twitter asking what questions should be asked in terms of the PR department and the commercial department at the club. I think you touched on it earlier on, just you know, getting more information. I don't th- no, I, I, Going with the punters that you, you, you listen to or you see on, on social media, despite the fact that when Dave King uh, took over... Um, on a promise of transparency and, and openness. I don't think the, the, the majority of Rangers fans feel 
that, that they're really getting that just now. And I, th- I think that would be the main thing. You, you, you touched on it, the, the Mark Allen situation. I mean, I, I don't understand why Mark Allen has been in the job since August the 1st. And apart from a couple of you know, Rangers TV interviews or Rangers TV sound bites, no, he's he's not been put forward for interview to, to anyone, and to explain his role at the club, what direction they're going in. Um, so I think the main punters, in terms of that kind of uh, those kind of questions, I think it will be about transparency, openness. We want to know what's going on. We want more information. You, know, you promised us this. When is it going to? When is it going to materialise? I think there needs to be a bit more of a trust in the Rangers' support to accept and acknowledge reality. Having what the, seen what the club's gone through, the fans are, are, are quite changed compared to what they were 10, 15 years ago. They're much more realistic. I think an example of what Scott's talking about would be the fact that there was a £3 million payment to Mike Ashley as part of severing the deal with Sports Direct. Now, that wasn't talked about in the statement that was released by the club, but the thing was, it was an in- inevitable it was going to come out because it's in the accounts, and we all know how people love to pour over the Rangers' accounts. <laughs> so, you know that that's going to come out, so why not include it in the original story? It doesn't change that it's a good news story, and it, and it, it stops there being a story further down the line that, oh, they've, been, they've not given all the information. Um, and they've not been fully transparent because you hear something later on the line. It, to me, that was just another example of an open goal. And I think they, they, sh- they should trust the fans a little bit more and, and just be a bit more open with things. I think fans will also question or ask questions about the kind of leadership of the club um, and probably ask questions of guys like Stuart Robertson and, and Andrew Dixon and, and, and the roles that they're, that they're in. They don't seem as, as prominent. Um, as and you, no, I, I hate to compare, but it's it's inevitable. You look at Celtic and Peter Lawwell and that, you know, the role, the, the job that he does, and the role he has there. But I think that's a bit unfair, though, Scott, because he's been in situ for so long. He's got such a network of relationships. I, I know what you're saying, and you are right. However, you, you don't just become the figure that Peter Lawwell is in Scottish football in terms of its reach. Um, over in the time that Robertson's been at the club, true, but I don't, I don't think he's shown many signs that he's going to be that that prominent figurehead for the club that I think the fans are looking for, and I think the club needs. Um, and I think his position as managing director, CEO, whatever it is, but they need. With Dave King being in South Africa. They need someone at the helm that's driving Rangers forward. Who's, has, who's empowered yeah, to make decisions. Of course, that has autonomy, if you like. And, and I like Stuart Robertson as a guy. I've spoke to him on a few occasions. I think he's very good. Um, a very good... He was good at his job. And it was, was it Price Waterhouse? Cooper, yeah. Cooper, he worked at. So, well, the guy's got credentials. I'm not disputing that. But in terms of being the figurehead of Rangers... I don't think the fans maybe thought King would do that, but being so far away, it's it's not impossible. And and I think at the AGM, if we're talking about you know, questions, I think that will come up um, as to what what these guys are doing and how they are how they are driving this club forward. I also think that again tying back into the Mark Allen should be speaking more. If Stuart Robertson is not as comfortable being that figurehead, then the director of football surely is the guy. 
that should be fronting up about the football department. Yeah. That should be explaining what his 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 oversight of the football uh, department is and what his big picture thinking is for the football department. That takes the pressure off Stuart Robertson, allows him to get on with the stuff that he gets on with in terms of the finances and the overall day to day running of the club and the, the 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 big thing, the football thing, that should be Mark Allen, should be at the forefront of that. That's the way I would see it. Yeah. Yep, there's certainly a lack of clarity at the club at the moment and on that we'll bring the podcast to a close. Thanks for joining us today guys. That's all from us. We will be back next midweek with more news and analysis from all things Rangers. If you want to get in touch with us to continue the debate, you can. I'm on Twitter at Gary Journal. Johnny's Johnny R. McFarlane and Scott is at Scott McDermott 8. Don't forget to subscribe at iTunes or Audioboom to get a podcast as soon as it's available. And if you liked it, please review and rate us on there too. Thanks for listening. Of desire.